Let's go ahead and pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Father, thank you so much for this chance, to, oh man, just to get together again and praise you and thank you and uh, hear from your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, I'm struck by the idea uh, lately that you are still here, that you are still alive, that you're not a ghost, you're not uh, just a presence, that you, you live, that our Savior, uh, you, have, you, you rose and you still live and you still interact in our lives and our high priest and our king and our big brother and our Lord and all of these things. Um, we just thank you, Jesus. I pray that everyone would know that. I pray that people would put aside their frustrations and their, uh, their anxieties and their worries, whether they're here, the few people that are in this building, or whether they're listening um, or watching on the internet. God, I pray that their hearts would be open to your movement. Lord, we don't have to beg you to move in our lives. We just have to be open to that. And uh, stop resisting. So I just pray for that. And Lord, uh, my, my prayer, my humble prayer, and I mean this genuinely, Father, is that I need you. Help me to preach your word and only your word, and that I wouldn't get in the way of it. And take these words, Lord, that by themselves are nothing. And uh, may they bring um, people to a closer understanding of you and glorify you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. How are you guys doing? Got a few people in here today. Or am I just funneling in noise? You don't know if you're watching from online. But no, I'm really excited. Um, people are here. Um, we don't have our full crew here. We haven't opened to the public, but we, our members, we've allowed some people to come in and um, safely, some of you that are worried and anxious. <laughs> so I'm excited about that in the weeks to come. You know, at the end of the day, I know a lot of people are anxious. I feel like I should talk about this. Weird time in our country. I know the virus and all that stuff is still making people nervous, and, and rightly so in some cases. Uh, one of the things I would encourage you to think about is what are you willing to give up to feel utterly safe? Because the reality is, um, you know, and I don't, I'm not making light of this. Certainly it's different. I'm not, put aside politics for a second because, boy, is this a hot button issue. It becomes politicized. Let's make it a human issue. What are you willing to give up to feel safe because someone else tells you that you're going to be safe. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I don't pretend to know all the right answers, but I do know this, that life is far too short to trade beautiful things for the appearance of safety. Um, and what that means for, for everyone, I don't know. I don't know. And that's why we need to continue to pray and support our government leaders because, you know, while we get to sit and complain, they have to make decisions that are never right to someone. And uh, that's a big deal. Uh, and certainly, I felt that on a smaller scale here at this church, because believe it or not, people are mad one way or the other. Uh, whether I have people, I don't have people. So, uh, yeah, be praying. Um, this is not bigger than God. And that's the thing you need to remember. Sometimes we have a tendency to be, uh, I don't know if any of you out there or in the room have heard of the, the, the concept of a prisoner of the moment. Have you ever heard of that? It's the idea that the moment itself makes you feel like that's all that there ever was. Like it's way, not even bigger, but that we have thousands of years of human existence. Terrible things have happened, and we're still here uh, by the grace of God. So that's not making light of the people that have passed away or the people that have fought through this sickness, but, but hey, let's not be prisoners of, prisoners of the moment, and let's, um, let's continue to love and live and uh, whatever that looks like in the days ahead. All right, mini sermon over. Let's get going. Uh, I want to tell you guys a story. Who likes stories? Madison? Woo! Madison, all right. She gives me a, a subtle nod. 
Yeah, now I can interact with people again. That's my favorite. Man, I was beating that habit too, Tim. I really was with no one in the room. So when I was a kid, I love to tell stories. So this story always sticks out in, in my head. When I was a kid, this is a true story, 100% true, Madison. I know you think I make it up. This is real. When I was a kid, I would probably say I was somewhere between the ages of four and, probably four and seven. Four, old enough to remember, but small enough, you know, um, to be scared of things. <laughs> I'm still scared of things. So when I was a kid, <clears throat> it was pretty cool. One of the things I really admire about my parents is when I was a kid, we used to leave our hallway light on, okay, when I go to bed. I like to have the hallway light on, uh, which is not interesting. You ever wonder when that transition happens, when you stop needing that light on? Some of you are like, I'm not there yet. Yeah, for, <clears throat> for me, I don't remember that day where I'm like, I don't want any light, but I, I had the hallway light on, but something else really cool they did. We had a bedtime. I was the oldest, you know, so I always had a little bit later. <laughs> Eat that, Samantha, Damien, my siblings. But I, they would always stay up. Because I would ask them to, right? And then it became just a natural thing, 30 minutes to an hour. And listen, those of you that have early mornings, my parents had really early mornings, that was a pretty big sacrifice. They would stay up until I felt safe enough, you know, I'd fall asleep and then they'd go to bed. So my dad, my mother worked nights, so in this particular case, it was my dad home. And my dad, we went to bed and he had the lights off. Now here's the thing, sometimes when we'd fall asleep, he would shut the light off, right? I'm already asleep, you don't know. So somehow, inexplicably, I woke up. I don't even know if I was really asleep, whatever. But I woke up, and my dad told, had told us, hey, don't come out. I'm going to be watching a scary movie. It's going to scare you guys. You don't want to watch this movie. So I'm like, okay, I, I will go to bed. Well, then I woke up, and I snuck outside into the hallway. I still remember exactly where I was because my bedroom, if the hallway's going this way, the TV um, was here, but there was a chair here facing the TV, and then the couch was over here. So somehow, I was little. I know that's surprising that at one point in my life I was little. (laughs) Anyway, so I snuck up behind it, and I remember peeking around, and I can remember the movie, okay? And I'm not saying the movie was new at this time, so don't try to date my age here. You know, it was probably probably like 2000, 1999. Uh, It was an old Stephen King movie that my dad was watching. I still remember Silver Bullet. Has anyone ever seen the movie Silver Bullet? No? Okay. It's about werewolves. And I snuck out, and I sit down, and I'm watching this werewolf movie with my dad in the middle of the night, and all that is in the room is the light from the TV, which, by the way, is a horrifying light, right? If you really think about it, the light that's pouring across, you know, so that's all there is. I don't know why I kept watching, but I distinctly remember the scene where the werewolf is coming at the kid. This tells you that this has traumatized me. And he shoots a firecracker into the eye of the werewolf directly into its eye, this kid. Uh, and, of course, at that point, I fled to my room. Um, I don't know why. You know, I, I, because my dad, I was more worried about my dad, knowing that I was there. That scared me more than the movie. But I was petrified. So as I run back to my room, I storm in this. I skid around the corner, and I look in my room. It's completely dark. My room is completely dark. And at that point, I literally, I'm not making this up for a powerful story, I hear the TV go off, because, you know, at some point, I don't remember, I don't know if he was just got tired. So he, stomp, 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 goes to bed. He had already turned the hallway light off. I can't turn it back on, because if I turn it back on, he's going to know that I was up. So I'm sitting in a completely dark house in the hallway, in silence, looking into my bedroom, which I can still see. I have goosebumps here if you were closer to me. It still scares me. And the light of the moon coming through the window casts these shadows. And I'm just going, what do I do? <laughs> do I face this 
dark room in which a werewolf could be in there, for all I know. I don't know what happened while I was gone, right? A werewolf could have came in my room, or do I go face the other terrifying monster, which is my father, and tell him the truth, which is, hey, I didn't listen to you, and I am petrified um, of werewolves. So I won't let you know which I did, because it doesn't matter. That's a different story. I ended up going to my dad. That's a whole different story. We'll tell you what happened someday. Um, not right now. But that moment where I was frozen, looking in, the, in my room, and I can still see the hallway. I can still hear the TV come off. Do you guys ever, have you ever been there? Or am I a weirdo? Where like, you're, you shouldn't be awake, you are, and everything goes silent. And so I'm looking in this room, and I legitimately remember going, this is it. I'm not going to make it, right? And then you do. What do you think I did? I see my bed. I do a long jump. Right? Yeah, if I got people going, that's me. I took a long jump, maybe one, two steps, and I, le- <laughs> one, two step. anyway, leapt into my bed, rolled up in a blanket, covered up, you know, and then you're waiting, and then I'm like, okay, I'll fall asleep. No, my closet, my bed faces my closet. And so I had the sliding, and unfortunately, foolishly, I had left it slightly open. So all I'm thinking is, just a werewolf hand, you know, just grabbing the door and sliding it open. <clears throat> Needless to say, this is before I went to my dad, because at this point I did, I did go to my dad, because I'm not getting killed by a werewolf. And um, that was a terrifying thing, and that sticks, sticks with me. Because I remember being in my room that night. I, I, clearly you guys know this is traumatizing. Thank you for letting me get this out, by the way. Um, in the night, in that darkness, I was terrified. It, it's that feeling of feeling like eyes are looking at you, right? Feeling like you're not alone. Every corner had a shadow, right? Sometimes even the, the, in a dark room, the tiniest light, though comforting, can also be scary because then it makes shadows. I don't know what's scarier. And it, my room was a familiar place. I enjoyed my room. But in the dark with no light, I didn't feel safe anymore. All because I couldn't see everything that was in there. Now, it didn't matter that I knew everything in my room during the day and it should have stayed in the night, but somehow, some way, the fact that I couldn't be absolutely certain that my room was still safe terrified me. How many of you guys, and this is where you're honest, how many of you, every now and then, no matter, like, you still have moments where you're a little afraid of the dark? By the way, you out there too, give us a thumbs up or a hand raise, whatever the cool hip emoji is. If you're not in the, in the, the people in this room, a few people, nearly everyone raised their hand. And the rest of them fibbed. But <clears throat> there's a moment. It doesn't matter how old you get. There, that's why we have light, right? We have street lights to feel safe in the dark, <laughs> right? You tell your kids, hey, be home before dark. All those kinds of things because in the dark, it's more, it feels more dangerous. Even if it's the same neighborhood, the same street, the same room, the same house, the same car, whatever it is. Do you ever wonder why? I ask a lot of questions to the annoyance of many people. So I ask myself that often, why? Why are rooms, rooms to this day, by the way, in this church, you wouldn't believe how many people, I always, I always say this, how can you be scared in the house of the Lord, right? Even though the Lord's in us. But anyway, people get scared in this building. I don't know how many times people are like, man, I was in that building alone, I heard some creaks. I'm like, well, that's all. there is one ghost in here, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> See what I did? <laughs> Yeah, but I'm serious, right? This church that we, we have so many great memories, it's, 
when the lights go off, people don't want to walk in the room. I've had people say, hey, can you, you know, hey, can you run out and check the door? I've watched grown men walk to the door, go, I don't know, it's pretty dark in there, right? You got a flashlight or something? There's, it's something about dark rooms that's intimidating, that's scary, that's wired in us maybe. Why is the dark so intimidating? Why are dark rooms so scary? Let me tell you. It's because we're afraid of the unknown. That's the truth. We don't see what's in those dark rooms. You don't see every corner. You, it doesn't matter how familiar you are. What if something snuck in, right? What if someone broke in your car? What if, someone, what if a werewolf climbed in your window? Whatever. You don't know for certain what's in that room. What's going to happen? We don't know for 100% certain that we're safe and that things will be okay. And that ties to another thing. You guys want to know a little secret? Yeah? Yeah. I'll tell you a little secret. We are all control freaks. Every, and it's funny because then this tells us how bad us real control freaks are because if all humans are control freaks and I'm confessing to you that, hey, I'm a controlling control freak, how bad must I be, right? We are control freaks. That's why we're scared of the dark because we have no control in that moment of what's in that room. We don't know what's there. We don't know what's not there. We don't know what's happened. We're all control freaks. You are a control freak. That's not always bad. But the reality is we have far less control than we think we do in life. But it makes us feel safe to think that we do. And that's okay. I'm, that's, I'm not here to, to mock that. But here's the thing. In those moments when we walk into a dark room or in that moment when I was looking into the dark, that dark room, I had to accept the fact that my illusion of control was gone. It was always an illusion, right? But now that illusion becomes reality. It's almost like in the absence of light, that's when the illusion fades. And I realize the precarious nature, who you like that, of life. Because we, I, tend to equate safety with control. If I'm in control, it's safe, right? Let me give you an example. I, my dad, I feel like I'm referencing my dad lately. My dad is a crazy guy in a good way, right? He's jumped out of planes. He's ridden bulls with no experience. He went and just started riding bulls. And he was like, hey, you want to, I am far more likely, Todd, to ride a bull than jump out of a plane. Statistically, I'm probably far more likely to be injured terribly from the bull than the plane. But there's an illusion of control. In my mind, I'm like, listen, all I got to do is hold on to this bull. How hard can it be, Right? When I'm flying through the air and all I got to do is pull a, a cord, I'm putting all control in whoever packed that parachute and in the fact that somehow, some way, that parachute's going to do what it's supposed to do. There's nothing I can do, right? We think that if we're in control of a situation, we're safe. That's what you control freaks that are real, even more control freaks, that's your problem. Deep down, we're very anxious people, so we try not to be by controlling everything around us when in reality, it's all just a game. We think we are when we're really not. But back to dark rooms. We tend to equate control with safety. Guys, listen. And I don't mean to be corny here, but this is true. Life is filled with dark rooms. It's filled with dark rooms. We see areas and situations that seem unsure, unsafe, unknown, 
and we become afraid. And the thing about fear is, is that fear is a thief. What do I mean by that? Fear takes away everything beautiful. Fear takes away comfort. Fear takes away joy. Fear takes away relationships. Fear takes away intimacy. Fear takes away. It never gives. Well, Todd, I thought the Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That means awe, right? Not I'm scared. Even in situations we think we see, right, they're still scary because they're unknown. So sometimes dark rooms, they give us the illusion, that's why I like this picture, the illusion of light, but they're still dark to us, which is why we're scary because we don't really know what's going to happen. What do I mean? You can lose your job, right? That doesn't seem that dark of a room in the sense that you know what happened. You lost your job. But the dark room is what's going to happen now, right? What will happen now? Health issues, that's one of the darkest rooms. Because we have no idea what's going to happen. Marriage issues. What's going to happen? You know, intimacy, problems with intimacy come from a lack of trust many times. What is trust? What does trust come from or what does mistrust come from? Excuse me, fear. We're afraid. But what if they do hurt me? What if I walk in that dark room and they hurt me again, right? Because sometime in your life you walked into a dark room and you were hurt. Viruses. It's funny that we think we have some sense of control. We don't. We are in the midst of a very dark room. And so many of us, what we've done is we've hidden the corner with our nightlight. And as long as we stay in our little corner, right, then we feel safe. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. While you're in the corner, a tick could bite you and you get Lyme disease. These are real things, all right? Stuff happens. Over the past month, I've had six weeks, a lot of conversations with a lot of people who are struggling. Now, the funny thing is, in person, no one wants to say they're afraid of the dark room we're in as a society. I haven't had one person say they're scared. Now, they clearly are. You are, some of you in this room, are afraid of what's happening. You're afraid of the virus. I'm not mocking you for that. But when I ask you, you say, well, I'm not afraid of the virus. You know, I'm just afraid of everything else. It's okay. You can't control that necessarily, whether you're afraid of that, right? Whether you have fear. But I see a lot of people are struggling. And many times, as, as I've talked through with these people and asked them questions, what becomes very clear is that the root of so many of the things they're going through, of their anxiety, is anxiety's big brother, fear. Anxiety is fear. It's a state of being afraid for so long that we are now in a constant state of fear. We can't shut it off. If you've had it, it's, it's easier said when people say, quit being anxious, you're like, I would if I could, right? Think about it and take a moment, and I want you to actually consider, whether you're out there right now or in this room, focus, I know, you got to stay. Ask yourself this question. If you've told someone in the last week you're anxious, what, are you, what do you really mean? What are you afraid of? What dark room are you scared to go in? What dark room are you in? Let yourself be honest about something else. Are you an angry person? 
Let me tell you a secret about angry people. Angry people are very often anxious people. And I just told you that anxious people are very often fearful people. Angry people are often just fearful people. Fight or flight, right? What happens in a fear situation? You're gonna, some of you are you're wired to run, and some of you are wired to fight. Either way, it comes from fear. How many times, if you're in this room or out there today, you're an angry person. You want to quit being angry. Oh, I, want, I don't want to be so angry. Then maybe you should stop being so fearful. Or, better yet, because I do believe you can't necessarily control when fear comes. It's, it's in us. And I don't think God expects that. I think God, what God means by do not be fearful is do not live out of that fear. The emotion of fear, that chemical, whatever it is, right? I'm not a scientist. But whatever that chemical that shoots through us, we can't necessarily control that. But you absolutely have control on what you do in that moment. What do you do with fear? How many times, those of you that are angry, are you really just scared? Like a cornered animal, you're just so scared that you feel like the only option is to lash out. How often does fear influence? This is so big because fear, we're going to get to a lot of parts of fear, of dark rooms. But how many Times this fear influence your decisions and your responses in life. How many minutes, hours, days, weeks, and possibly years have you allowed fear to control your life? To stop you from doing what you've dreamed of. To stop you from pursuing what God's put in your heart. To stop you from having healthy relationships. To stop you from having any relationships. Those dreams, right? So many times, I th- that, 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 I'm a big dream. I'm a dream believer. I truly believe that most things in life, the only thing that stops us is our, is our own inability to pursue it. Because really, what's going to come bad from pursuing a dream? I'm the wrong guy to talk to if you want a realist, realistic opinion. Because I think anything, nearly anything is possible. What I tell everyone is you just got to pick your sacrifice. Every dream takes a sacrifice, right? Every Choice has something you didn't choose. Are you willing to go down it when it's hard, when it's scary? How often? Fear is so powerful, guys. It's so very insidious. It's so very destructive. It's so unpowering. It robs you of your strength. It's dark and it's choking And sometimes it makes you feel like you're smothering in that dark room. It weakens whatever it can get its grasp on. That's what. If fear gets a hold of your marriage, it's going to weaken it. If fear gets a hold of your dreams, it's going to choke it. Fear will weaken whatever it gets its grubby little paws on. I love the fact, and this is one of those things, when I use, if if you're new to the the remnant style, or if you're here a while, you've never heard me say this. I use the word Christianese a lot. Sometimes people misunderstand what I mean by that. Christianese does not mean that the things people say isn't true. It becomes Christianese when they stop believing it's true and just say it as words, right? Christianese is saying God is love without letting that love transform you because it's real. So when I say this, I feel like it can become Christianese. We all have the bracelets that say, don't, do not fear. And, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power, self-control. That's all in the Bible, right? Some of you in this room say that and know that, but it's just Christianese to you because at the end of the day, you're not willing to walk in that dark room and test it. 
You're not. I, that's, every, that's what I see all around me. God, over and over and over again, tells his people from the Old Testament all the way to Jesus, and even at the end, he says, do not be afraid. How many times do you make excuses for God? What do I mean by that? Well, he must not have meant that in this case. I think he knows what he's talking about. Right? He threw the stars in the sky. I think if he says don't be afraid, he meant it exactly the way he said it. The problem is, we don't like when God asks us to go into dark rooms. Because guess what? Remember what I said we all are? Control freaks. We're all good with what, you know, God says to go outside, eat some pie in the sunshine. You know what, Lord? Amen. I'm going to do what you ask. Okay, then God says, hey, go tell your uncle, sister, brother, mom, dad about Jesus. Okay, that's a little more uncomfortable. Tell your coworker. Okay, God, all right, separation of church and state, Lord. <laughs> Please don't ask me to do that, right? Now he asks you to, for some reason, stop and talk to that creepy-looking guy at Walmart who's crying in the corner. Okay, that, that, God doesn't want me to do that. What if that guy kills me? Yep. What if a meteor hits you in the head and kills you on the way to the car? God is God. You have to decide what that means. And I'll get to this in a second, because here is the secret I'm going to tell you. Jesus wants you to go the exact places you refuse to go. Do you know why? Because two reasons. One is that he wants to take away your fear, which means strengthen your faith, right? And I think he wants to show off. I mean that. It's in the dark rooms that God shows himself to be God, that he shows himself to be in control. Because when we release that idea, that fake illusion of control, that's when life really begins. That's when God can say, now you did this, right? That's why Jesus, he gives a parable. You were faithful with this small thing, right? You've heard this, now I will give you this big thing. Over and over and over again. All throughout the Bible, God talks about fear. But as always, I don't know, for me, I find myself drawn to when Jesus talks about fear. Because he does, did you know that? All the time. We have a tendency, by the way, when Jesus speaks, to think he's angry every time he talks. Do you ever do that when you're reading the Bible? Quit being afraid. Right? That's what you think. Why do you think that? Why don't we think that he might be saying, hey, you don't have to be afraid. I love you. Come here. We don't think that, at least me. Right? Sometimes I'm like, well, clearly he's yelling at me to not be afraid. Right? Like your football coach, get up! Get up! I'm like, okay. <laughs> I want to give you three little stories here where Jesus talks about fear. And then we're going to talk about dark rooms for a second. If you have your Bibles, let's hope I didn't do my number flipping dyslexia. I don't know what the proper term is. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 35 and 36. Before they come up, I want to tell you something, or they may be up in a second. And then listen, I need to set context for you. Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. He's beginning to slowly reveal himself. While he's doing this, a man runs up to him and says, Hey, my master wants you to come because his daughter is dying. Okay, The synagogue leader, um, he says, Come here 
He wants you to come. He knows you can heal. His daughter's dying. So Jesus says, okay. And you're like, all right. There's a dark room. Your daughter is dying. A dark, this is a dark room, yes? Stay with me. If someone said, Lord forbid, your child was dying, is that a dark room? Absolutely it is. He, then Jesus is coming. All right, here comes the light. We're headed that way. As Jesus comes, someone touches him. And this is important for you to know. Someone touched a woman. It says she was bleeding for a lot of years. Okay, ladies, can you imagine that you were considered unclean if you continued to bleed? If you had any sort of issues like that, you were, you were unclean. You weren't allowed to be touched, to be around people, going to the temple, on and on and on. She touches him because she just says there's a huge crowd. If I can just touch him, I'll be healed. She touches him. She's healed. Jesus stops. Remember, the servants here, they've got an important mission here. We need to go take care of this daughter. And he says, who touched me? By the way, scary moment, right? I imagine she was kind of like, she tells him they have, Jesus just stops in the midst of this to have this talk with her. And if I'm the servant, I'm going, there's a girl dying. We could talk to her after, right? Jesus doesn't do that. Why? He likes to show off. In the midst of that moment, someone, another servant comes and says, hey, don't come. She's already dead. She's already dead. The room has become the darkest it can possibly be. This is where we pick up the story. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, he's speaking to the, this lady, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. Well, that's nice. Your Christian ears are going, I get it, Todd. It's about faith. No, no, it's better than that. Ready? Well, that is, you can't really be better than that. But this is interesting. Believe what? People don't rise from the dead. Do you understand? Believe what? Can you put yourself there? Believe what? Jesus is saying, don't believe. Walk into that dark room. He has no clue what's going to happen in the dark room. Do you understand? Believe what? Believe that God is still in that dark room and is somehow, way, going to come through. That in that dark room, even though it seems scary, even though it seems hopeless, even though you have no idea what's around, believe. Believe that God is still God in the dark room. Want to guess what happens? A dead person rose. See, we have the, we have the uh, benefit of hindsight. It's easy for us to go, yeah, man, he was clearly he was going to raise him from the dead. If Jesus, for some reason, somehow showed up today, and, and you had a, someone passing away, and he said, hi, and they died, and he just goes, don't worry. Just believe. You might try to swing at him because you're like, well, you could have helped him, right? You might believe someone can be healed, but you certainly don't believe that the dead can be raised. Don't be afraid, only believe. So here's the thing. You're not always going to know what's in the dark room when Jesus tells you to go there. In fact, many times you're not. That's not your job. Your job is to walk and believe. He's continuing his ministry. I love this one. I love this one because hindsight lets me make fun of the disciples a little bit, and I shouldn't. Okay, I shouldn't. But we'll talk about it, right, someday. I hope they're not mad. Anyway, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 and 20, uh, through 25, um, as things are going on, he's in his ministry, they get in a boat, they're going across the lake, Jesus decides, <laughs> I just think this is hilarious, take a nap. So he's had a long day. He's doing a lot of stuff, raising people from the dead, healing. He goes to sleep. And here we go. One day he and his disciples got into a boat and he told them, 
Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out. By the way, can you, again, let's, let's make them human. Jesus says, let's go over there. And they're like, I mean, I guess. I don't really know why. And then he goes to sleep. I can already imagine some of you be like, of course the boss goes to sleep when the work needs to be done. Right? So here we go. And as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. Stop. Now, we tend to go, yeah, that's probably, you know. I think in our minds, we always see those, like, I always think of the plates. I, my grandma had these plates with, like, Bible scenes on them. And that's what I think of all the time, you know. And it's like everything's perfect. In the middle of the wind, his hair's just flowing gently, and he's blonde, right? And everything's just beautiful. And even the disciples, their look of fear really is very peaceful. Like, they're like, you know, like, What's going to happen? No, this is, I mean, have you been on a lake at all when things get rough? It's scary. I've been on literally a pond, and it starts moving. I'm like holding on. We're talking an actual storm. It says they were being swamped and were in danger. Water, they were about to, to tip over. Water's coming in. They came and woke him up saying, as any of us would, Master, Master, we're going to die. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, so they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. You know, I like to, I said I make fun of the disciples, but I also love their faith here. I make fun of them a little bit because they've seen Jesus do miracles, and they're still freaking out. But I also see their faith in the fact they woke him up. If anybody can help us now in this dark room, it's Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't, again, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, I want you to put yourself in the boat and you wake Jesus up. This, yeah, he's healed some broken legs. Yeah, that, that's coincidence. That's what people think. You know, maybe the guy wasn't really sick. Maybe he's faking it. Right? On and on. Yeah, he may, I mean, he fed a lot of people. I don't know. Maybe we had more bread than we thought. Whatever. Now he stands up calmly and rebukes the wind and the waves. That doesn't mean like, calm myself. Stop. When they asked him, there was no concept that he was going to command nature to stop. In that dark room, in that moment, in the moment when the waves are going back and forth and literally it's beginning to sink, of all the things Jesus could have done, he did the one that no one else could do. Stop. And the wind and the waves stopped. See, sometimes the fear of a dark room in your life, whatever that is, is that you see no human way possible that it could be safe. See, sometimes dark rooms, I mentioned this earlier, you know what's in that dark room, don't you? And it's scary, and it's big. And what makes it so dark is that thing inside of there. And you know, i got to walk in here, but this isn't going to go well because there's no possible way I can defeat, I can fix, when we come to the end of ourselves, that God takes over. And He shows up, and He shows out. That's what He does. You see, as a Christian in this room, you have got to come to understand a simple fact. You are believing in the miraculous. Do you understand that? This isn't Buddha, okay? This isn't a philosophy. You are believing that God became man, died for your sins, and physically rose from the dead. You're believing that. 
you don't get the option of saying, yeah, Jesus is cool. I'm calling myself a Christian because he's all about peace and love, man, and I'm a hippie. Whatever you want to say, that's not the option. You are saying you're believing in a God who loves his creation and still interacts with his creation and has a plan to fix all the dark rooms in the world. So in those moments when you're afraid and it seems impossible, it is impossible for you. But you know what Jesus said? Don't be afraid. All things are possible with God. He said that. But you don't believe that and neither do I. You don't believe that people can walk on water. You don't believe that a boy can kill a giant. You say you do, but you don't. Or if you do, you think that was then, right? And God isn't the same God and he doesn't want to do that for you. He already has. The problem is you're too in your life to see the miraculous nature of your story. Because if you wrote it on a piece of paper, and I promise you, and I read it, I don't know how many times you guys, some of you have come and told me some story and you, you act like it's normal and I'm going, what? Do you understand what just happened? That makes no sense. He's in the business of miracles. I don't know what that looks like. I don't pretend to know. And that's not our job. Our job is to what? Do not be afraid. Only believe. Finally, I love this one because to me, I don't know, man, I've been, I've had a refreshment in my spirit. I don't mean to be Christian isn't with Jesus lately and how amazing he is and how much he loves me and that he's here right now. Did you know that he's in this room? You don't think that. You don't, some of you. He is. Well, Todd, that's ridiculous. They're invisible people. Here's the thing. The Bible tells me, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's it. That's all it's here. And then a bunch of you out there. There's not more than 100. Don't worry. He's here. That's incredible. And he's still talking to you and me today. These words are being said to you right now. You. Tyler, he's saying this to you. Isn't that crazy? You don't believe that, but he is. To you. You might as well be in this room alone. He's saying it to you. Here it is. He's talking about fear and anxiety. And this is beautiful. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. He says, Jesus says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Stop. Aren't there? You're like, what in the world? Can you imagine being there? And he's like, I'm going to talk to you about fear. Hey, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? What? <laughs> I know, God. We're talking about fear. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Aren't these birds cheap? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have been counted. I'm about to cry right now. Let this, let this impact you. But even the hairs of your head have been counted. And I didn't have the other verse, which is my, the last part's the best. So don't be afraid, therefore. Verse 31. You are worth more than many sparrows. Put that together and don't read it through your Christian lens. I know. Some of you want to come down and shake. They've been here one day and I already come to come down there. First front two rows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> They're usually the ones that hide in the back, but they can't today. Anyway, wake it up, Peyton. I'm looking right at you. Here we go. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not even one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent, but even the hairs of your head have all been counted. He says, listen, look at these cheap birds. They're cheap, but not a single one of these cheap things dies, falls to the ground. Even nothing happens to it without your father's consent. I love that he said your father. He could have said God, couldn't he? He said your father. And then he says, he makes a comparison, but did you know, this is how valuable you are, Madison, that he knows every hair of your head. 
I think ladies get this more than guys because if a guy literally spent all night counting the hairs of your head and be like, I love this hair and this hair, you'd be like, that's so beautiful, right? If like, you wanna, if like Tyler's counting my hair, I'm like, dude, I mean, get the heck out of my hair, right? <laughs> right? It's a beautiful thing, though, that he loves you that much. And moms, I've seen you. It's a beautiful. I love when I see you, like moms when no one's looking and they're like playing with their baby's hair, right? Like you know that. That's, that's yours. That's your child. We have a lot of babies here. It's really giving me appreciation for how the father sees me. He knows even the hairs of your head. There's a comparison here. Cheap, valuable. So don't be afraid. I love this. This will make you cry because you're worth more than many sparrows. Man, not one falls to the ground. You're worth many. I've got you. I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. Listen. Let me give you an example before. See, the first thing that happens when I say I'm going to take care of you, some of your minds goes to the most hurtful thing that's ever happened in your life. And you say, where was God then? I've told this story before. Um, at our church, we have a little, little gremlin named Miles. Okay? I love him dearly. I do. I love him. He's starting to talk to me now for the first time after years of mocking me. And he is very smart, which makes it more frustrating. And he comes and we tell him, you guys may remember this day, some of you are here, Miles, I, I, his mom told him, his dad told him, and I told him because they were serving. I was in my office. I could still, don't put your head between, what is that called even? I don't even know. The railing, right? We have a railing here at our church, if you don't know. We have a railing, we have a really cool little foyer area with a staircase going up and a railing. And there's, it's metal bars. And he put his head in and it got stuck. Because, you know, it's, it, it, that's funny. But then, you know, after a while, that becomes a panicky moment. So we get his head out. I go back in. At this point, everyone's gone. Okay, everyone goes and does their various things. And, and I'm up in my office, and I can still see this clear as day. I think this was early on we were cleaning stuff here. And I'm at my desk writing, and I hear a sound. I'm going to laugh right now. Think about it. And I look up, and I see him squirming <laughs> because he did it again. He put his head in the railing again, thinking this time, probably not going to get stuck. See, the problem is, even though his mother and his father told him that if you do this, you're going to get hurt, they did it anyway. Now, you might say, Todd, that's true. I've done those things, but this thing happened to me. True. But he also told that person that hurt you not to hurt you. It doesn't make him a bad parent that because we live in a bad world, bad things happen. It makes him a good parent that he never lets go. No matter how much we run from him, no matter how much we disobey him, no matter how much when someone else hurts us, we blame him, and we don't want to go into that dark room the next time. Well, when I look at all these verses, what does that tell us? Oh, man, i got to hurry. If Corey was here, he'd be pointing to his watch. Got you, Corey. Don't care if you're not here. <clears throat> Is it? He's probably asleep. It's natural. Listen, what do we take from all this? I want you guys to hear this because I, I think there's a thin line. Some of you are so, some of you have such beautiful hearts that you'll beat yourself up for feeling fear. And that's not what this is about. Stay with me. Here's what we can tell from this. In our, in, it's our natural, it's natural in our fallen sinful state, meaning this broken world we're in, right? With all these emotions and all these things and thousands of years of, of humanity walking from God and everything that's happened in here between, it's natural to feel fear. You can't help sometimes the natural fear that you feel. 
You shouldn't feel shame that you might be fearful. If God didn't think that we were going to feel fear, he wouldn't tell us all the time, don't be afraid. Do you understand? He wouldn't say, don't worry, if he didn't know that our temptation and our struggle is going to be feeling fear. So let, let that go. Let that shame go, because that's not the point. The point is this. We are going to have times that we feel fear, but as Christians, meaning Jesus Christ still to this day is following you, or leading you if you're following. As Christians, we have to realize that fear is not from God, that you weren't created to live in fear. That's why the verse says, God did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and self-control. The point is, you weren't created to be fearful. Fearful is a product of sin, and not necessarily, some of you get confused by that. It doesn't mean even your mistakes. It means the brokenness of this world. It's a product of what's happened. It's in us, just like how we age and get disease and all these things. But God did not give us fear. And let me tell you why. Because at its core, fear, this is important if you're a note taker. At its core, fear makes us doubt the character, power, and or heart of God. That's what fear does. That's why God would never give you that. See, I didn't tell you this story. I thought about putting it up here, but I already hit you with a lot of verses. Do you want to know the first time fear ever showed itself in creation? When we disobeyed God, our father, mother, Adam, and Eve, it says that when God came out and said, where are you? He knew. And he came out and he said, hey, why were you hiding? He goes, because I was afraid. Right? It said they hid themselves because they heard God coming and they were afraid. They had walked with God. They knew him intimately. But fear made them doubt his heart. Fear made them think that he wouldn't love them anymore, that he was angry at them, that he was going to hurt them. Fear makes you believe that God doesn't have the power sometimes to move in that dark room. I can't go in there. God can't protect me from that. It's the truth. It makes us doubt the character of God, and God makes us doubt the heart of God. God is not good. God is not here. God does not care. If he did, then I wouldn't have this dark room. He wouldn't be asking me for that. See, fear is the opposite of faith. So I'm going to ask you this right now. Well, before I do, I want to point this out. So that's, those are the scary, let me tell you some other dark rooms. Dark rooms can also be your dreams, goals, and things God's put into and on your heart that you're afraid to walk into even though you know he told you to walk. I know that, right? Because many times in my life, I was afraid to do what I think he was telling me to do. The one time, maybe the one time in my life I did, I'm sitting here preaching to you in a building and all these things that happened because one time in my life I said, I guess I'm going to do this. See, that's the most heartbreaking thing. I think some of us are going to go home someday, and God loves us, and he's going to shame us, but he's going to go, man, I really had something beautiful for you in that room. You were just so scared to walk in. God is in the habit of doing that. Sometimes, you know, he calls us into the unknown, into the wilderness, so he can show himself to us in a new way and do miraculous things. He's in the habit of doing this. Doing that, he calls us into dark rooms that at the end of the day are only dark because of our fear. And he wants to do that to strengthen our faith and show his power. He's done it forever. He did it with Moses. You set my people free. We're like, yeah, why did, why did Moses argue? Are you kidding me? Let me tell you. Hey, guy, go to Korea and tell the dictator to let all his people go. 
Or God's going to move in there. You want to go tell Kim Jong-un what that? Do you want to go tell him that? No, you don't. Some of you don't want to get on the stage and welcome people to the church, right? Because that's scary. Now go talk to the dictator of a country. He did that. Joshua, Moses, okay, the miraculous things, they get all the way to the promised land, across that river with all those giants and those evil people. That's your land. You just got to go fight them. By the way, Moses just died. Joshua, all right, take him across. That's horrifying. Joshua's going, I'm not Moses, right? Peter, there's a storm. Once again, take your earmuffs off your glasses. Hey, there's a storm. There's a ghost coming. That's what you're going to think. Jesus is walking on the water. Now he says, step out of the boat. I guess Jesus wants me to die, right? No. Peter did. I promise you, Peter, I don't think Peter was like, I'm going to walk on water. I think he was just like, I love you. you tr- I trust you. That was the sound of walking on water. <laughs> Sounded like goo or something. And he took a murderer, a man that was persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. And he showed, Jesus showed himself to him and said, I want you to, I'm going to take your sight. I want you to go to this city, to the people you are persecuting. I want you to go to one of the people who's heard of you, who knows that you're a killer, and he's going to take care of you. Once again, we're like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's cool. Anybody would do that. No, you wouldn't. You're going to go, you killed a guy, now go to his brother's house and say, I'm here for dinner. That's where God shows up. And in each one of those cases, that dark room ended up leading to a miracle. What, are you guys allowing fear to dictate your life? Are you allowing fear to dictate your life? Whether it's a situation that you're in. Some of you are paralyzed with fear. Your anxiety comes not from the situation. See, at, at our church, a lot of times people be like, Todd's too pushy. He always tries to make me go to things and be in community. And I'm sorry if that's you. I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, I'm not upset that you don't want to come. I promise you that. I, I'm really not. I'm sad that you're so afraid because some of you, that's the real truth. You can make whatever excuses you want. You're afraid. You're afraid of being hurt. You're afraid of, I don't know, your kid's going to annoy people. You're afraid that you're afraid. One of my, you know, the sayings that I tell the guys, the remnant house guys, and they'll tell you this, is two things. Do hard things. Do hard things. Because hard things prepare you. Guess what hard things often are? They're scary things. So when I tell you, hey, you should come to church. You should let your, you know, kid, I'm not talking about, literally this has happened a lot, you know, your child, I know it's the first time they're in children's church, I know we could be serial killers, but it might not be, take a chance, right, you're at church, we're not, right, like I'm serious, like think about that, because to me what makes me sad about that moment, you're so afraid that God doesn't love your child, that you won't let them go to a room with a friendly, it's not me in there being creepy, I know, Kenzie, you came in in a weird moment one time. <laughs> Looked like, long story. It had to do with Miles again, if anyone knows. I was battling him, and it's a long story. Anyway, the, the, that's, start small. Don't let fear take away opportunities for God to move in incredible ways in your life. Are you allowing fear to dictate your life? What are the dark rooms that you're afraid to enter right now? And sometimes there's situations. Maybe the dark room. I know, you know, a dear friend of mine 
uh, has a family member, you know, has a, the, the world says a terminal illness. How do you wake up every day in that dark room? How do you do that? How do you get up and want to move and, and smile and laugh? How do you do that? That's faith. That's faith. That's someone that said, either God's going to heal me or he's going to take me home. Either way, I win. That's believing. And I can tell you this, just in that one case, that person's willingness to sit in a dark room has influenced my life. They have, they have performed a miracle in my life by showing me that. What are the dark rooms you're afraid to enter? Listen, God is for you. This is so important. Jesus loves you. I know, Todd. No, 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 no. Listen to me. Jesus loves you. Today, right now, you. He loves you. He's not gone. He hasn't left you for dead. He hasn't, he hasn't abandoned you. He loves you. God is for you and loves you dearly, and he has promised to be with you always. That is a promise. Jesus said himself, I will be with you to the very end of the age. That's an incredible promise that we take for granted. And if we really believe that, we would be far more willing to walk into dark rooms. Right? Because we know that our Savior is right beside us. I don't know where you're at today, but I do know this, that your life isn't meant to be dictated or controlled by fear. And if it is, I can tell you that it's not from God. It's not. He doesn't want you to live that way. That's not freedom. Fear is a tool of the enemy. If you're in this room today, or you're watching and you don't know Jesus, then most of your life is lived in fear. You do whatever you can to feel safe, right? And maybe if you get the right job and you think you're pretty stable because you're financially set, right? For some of you, I'm doing fine. That's why you don't think you need a savior. All it takes is one dark room to change that. All it takes is one dark room to change all of that. Because at the end of the day, no matter how safe you've made the room, when it gets dark, it's still scary. And that's because you have no control, real control. And you want to feel safe. Well, the only way you're ever going to feel truly secure is if you put your faith in your God. If you have a, a relationship with your creator, that's the way you were made to be. The gospel is really simple. And some of you have taken the gospel to be a dark room. Someone has lied to you, so I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. God made us all to live and love and rule his creation in his name. And he said one thing, let me be God and you be the creation. I'll tell you what right and wrong is, you follow me. That's it. That's what it boils down to. We rejected that. Well, I didn't, Todd. Well, first of all, yes, you do every single day. And the thousands of years of human existence from the moment that Adam and Eve rejected God until now when you reject them every day, we have stored up wrath for ourselves. We live in fear and anxiety and worry. And we worry about now when we should be worried about what happens after death because that's when the bad stuff really happens if we don't have a relationship with our God. See, the Bible says that, that our sin stores up wrath for ourselves. That there's a cup of wrath waiting to pour on us, that the wrath and judgment of God. But here's the beauty of it. God loves you so much that he doesn't want that for you. And so God came down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He showed us the way we should be, the way things were before sin entered the world. Love and grace and mercy and truth and peace and no fear and all of those things. And then he did something incredible. Where we were separated from God, we had no way to get to him. God came to us died on a cross for your and my sin so that we never have to live in the dark again. 
And on the cross, something incredible happens. He takes our sin, past, present, and future, and he offers us his holiness, his goodness. The debt is paid. Well, Todd, how do I get that? The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. What happens after that? You're forgiven forever. And then all of these promises that God will be with you forever, that he will heal you, change you, becomes reality. And no one can take that away. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Today, your life can change. It's real. Jesus loves you. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for this day and the opportunity you've given us to just see how you come through for people throughout history. Lord, I know a lot of people are in scary situations. Lord, I, I many times live in fear of dark rooms. And Lord, I just pray that you would remind us in those moments that you're with us, that we don't have to choose to be a slave to fear, God, but that because of the spirit you've given us that we are empowered to rise above that. I pray for everyone out there that if they have dreams that you've put on their hearts and goals and ways you've wanted to use them that they've been too afraid to walk into, that today would be a turning point for them and that they would walk forward and you would bless those steps that they could look back and say, today's the day that I walked into a dark room and God lit it up. So Father, we thank you and praise you in advance for all you do and all you are and for the very simple fact, but powerful fact, that you love us right where we're at and that you promise to never leave us. Lord, we give you all the glory and praise in Jesus Christ's name, amen.